it's interesting, you know, the, how I named the, the current generation. When I was writing the book, I had no name. I, you know, I was, I got up to the year, you know, 20, I knew 2000 to 2020, I had them named the iTechs for a long time and was calmly talking about the iTech generation. But then my theory, if it was holding true, and I was writing this in 2018, 2019, I, I thought if this, my theory's right, I've got to put a name on this new generation, this this generation being born since 2010. And I started thinking, oh my goodness, what what am I going to name it? And you know, I knew robots were part of the picture, and I was doing some research on that one day. And I was on YouTube, I was on YouTube, and it was um, they were showing commercials uh, of robot commercials, and one of the robot commercials, I can't remember the name of the, the company now, it was um, some sort of finance company. It was during the Super Bowl of 2019. It was the number one commercial in the 2019 Super Bowl. And it was about a, a guy, that a man that's asleep, and this little robo child, it's, her name's robo child, comes up and wakey, wakey, papa, wakey, wakey. And he rolls over and says, you know, oh my goodness, what do you want? And she's she says she wants something, and and he says the world's not ready for you, Robo Child, and that's when it <laughs> hit me, Robo Child. To overcome, you must educate. Educate not only yourself, but educate anyone seeking to learn. We are all dead America. We can all learn something. To learn, we must challenge what we already understand. The way we do that is through conversation. Sometimes we have conversations with others. However, some of the best conversations happen with ourselves. Reach out and challenge yourself. Let's dive in and learn something right now. Today we're with Dr. Rick Cromie. He is a best-selling author, an international speaker, cultural historian, professor, and a pastor. His book, Gentech, An American Story of Technology Change and Who We Really Are, Rick, could you please introduce yourself and let people know just a little more about you, please? Well, well thank you, Ed. And I appreciate the opportunity to be with you here in cyber world as we uh, explore a number of interesting and curious subjects uh, for the next hour or so. Uh, yeah, my name's Rick. I live in uh, Boise, Idaho, actually in a little uh, suburb outside of Boise called Star. And I live with my wonderful, beautiful wife, uh, Linda, and we have an ornery fat cat named bell and a beautiful little king charles cavalier dog named charlie um but uh got grandkids and uh kids today you know my got two kids uh, we've actually got four kids between the two of us and we're just living the life here in idaho and uh you you pretty much nailed all what i do i i'm a historian and and I do some, uh, I still teach at some schools out there and, and do some other work, but uh, also a little pastoral work as well. But my primary thing is writing and speaking. Well, when you dig into Rick and what he really does, it's fascinating. This technical, <clears throat> excuse me, this technology yeah. that we all live in and we're defined by, you, you kind of, I've always 
been frustrated about this generation naming. You yeah. know, I've always felt like, well, I don't fit there. I don't fit there. Uh, what what do I get called? So, you know, it, it helps me identify a little bit when I got into researching you. Well, yeah, they do overlap. So now I all of a sudden feel kind of relieved. Oh, well, I'm not alone then. And I've always kept that to myself, you know, but it's always been confusing. What got you into writing this book, Rick? Well, first of all, it's about 30 years in the making, uh, Ed. It's, <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a topic that's been fascinating to me since uh, probably the early 1980s. Uh, I was, uh, at that time, I was working as a youth pastor and uh, doing a lot of different workshops. I did some other training type of work at that point where I was doing some teaching back in my younger years. And because of my youth uh, ministry expertise and my expertise, I guess you will, at the time with youth culture, a lot of it was starting to bubble around this new generation of kids, as we were calling them back then, uh, Gen Y. We didn't really have a name for them. It just, we just recognized they were a different type of kids. They eventually became known as the millennial generation. And in the 1990s, I spent a lot of time uh, traveling all over the country, really uh, even around the world, uh, helping people understand this new generation, You know what made them tick, and understanding the different uh, aspects, characteristics, the, the good, the bad the ugly, everything about it. And a long story short was um, around the early 2000s, I started to recognize that there were some things that were kind of missing. Uh, first of all, I like you, I, I didn't like the generational names that were being given. Um, and in 1995, you know, we were just getting started talking about the millennials when someone named the new generation Gen Z. And I was going, my head started spinning like the exorcist child there, you know, because it's like, what, what are we doing here? You know, this alphabet naming uh, thing is, you know, yeah. we got Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, you know, what are we doing? This isn't the way to name generations. And around the same time in the mid 2000s, I started a doctoral uh, degree where I spent literally uh, three years of my life immersed in studying the future, understanding emerging culture, and in particular, developing my own theory that there are certain technologies that have the capacity to change who we are. I mean, they, they shift us into new ways of communicating, primarily communicating, but also that means learning, that means how we worship, that means how we, um, how we work, all those things. And when I started to look at these mega techs, I noticed that about, about every 500 years, you have this big shift. Uh, you know, the, the previous one was the, the, the what I call the modern shift uh, that brought us out of the dark ages, that brought us into renaissance and enlightenment and, and reformation and eventually the scientific age, the information age. And that was the technologies of the Gutenberg press, uh, the, uh, the telescopes, the microscope and the telescope, the scopes, uh, and, and as well as the uh, uh, mechanized clock. Those technologies really changed how we communicated as a culture. Uh, we became a print culture. We became a, a scientific culture. We became a, a culture of, of what I call the ologies, you know, the, the biology, geology, psychology, all those ology types of disciplines. Basically, what we did was we put we put everything in a box. You know, we put the world, geos is the Greek word for earth. We put the earth in a box and said, this is how the earth works. Or we put bios, which is the Greek word for life. 
we put that in a box and we called it biology. You know, this is how biology works. And, and then we took those boxes. We did the same thing with God. Theos is the, the Greek word for God. And so theology came out of that. So we even put God in a box. And in the process of doing that, through 500 years of conversation and communication and teaching and all that, we got to the point where we just had everything, everything was down, mechanized. It was very mechanized culture. And then along comes television, blows it up. Then along comes the internet, blows it up. Then along comes cellular phone or mobile technology and blows it up. Those technologies in particular flattened our culture, to quote Malcolm. Um, I got Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, Friedman, Thomas Friedman, wrote a book called The World is Flat. It just flattened our whole world. And that's because those technologies had the capacity to break out of the boxes. In fact, they operate. They really propose a world without boxes. You know, there is no box anymore. Uh, even even the universe itself, we don't call it the universe. A lot of people call it the multiverse. It's a totally different world. We have broken out of this, this idea of one single thing into a variety, a colorful kaleidoscope of, of information and understanding and how we communicate. So long story short, um, I applied that to generations. It dawned on me one day that... You know, I've been looking at this from the big cultural shift. What if it works within generational shifts as well? And I went back as far as 1900. In the book, I, I'd start in 1900 because more technological change has occurred in, since 1900 than the yeah. entire, you know, history of the world. And then I just applied it to these generations. And I'll be more than happy to share more about what that looks like if you're interested. But that is, uh, that's kind of the big thing that started to happen. And I looked at, generations as having technological shiftings going on within them. And those technological shiftings then gave us a window to the world, to the, to how we, we are framed and how we're personified. Yeah, that's, that's uh, precisely how I see it. And, you know, each time one of those changes comes, that's opportunity. Yeah. And how we expand really matters at that particular point in time. What, what are we going to do with this new technology? And in our world today, I'm kind of concerned with that. You know, it's frightening understanding with the advent of the computer age and the Internet. And <laughs> we have this narcissistic type of tendencies about everybody and everything how we go forward from this point on mm. it really matters and to educate people about how these shifts occur i think it's pretty pretty uh needed it's important so how do we go forward from this point understanding the technologies of the past without educating people of how we are right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you just hit upon a very important uh, talking point in this conversation. We have been here before 
Ed. This is yes. nothing new. Yes. As I was doing research research for the book, I talk about you know the different generations being impacted by the telephone, for example, the automobile, uh, the airplane, the uh, motion picture generation. There's a there's a generation called the radio generation and the vinyl record generation, and then, and of course television and space. All these different generations lining up, and they're not lined up. Why, by the way, back to back to back. They're actually over the top of each other. There's there's periods where they they cover each other, and that makes you part of two different technological generations. But with that said, what I found interesting in my um, research for the book was that the same fears that we have about holographic technology or artificial intelligence technology or um, you know robotic technology those are the the big ones today that that are coming down the pike. Uh, were the same feelings and the same reservations and the same fear. Uh, you actually had fear-mongering that went on with the telephone. I mean, there were people back when the telephone came out thought that it was demons that were speaking through those those earpieces. It, there's no way that else it could happen. Same thing happened with radio. The idea to transmit a voice yeah. over the airways was considered by some, especially in the religious world, as being you know of the occult. And of course, it's interesting that it was the religious world that kind of got a hold of it and recognized all the ways that you could broadcast a message. It was it was two yeah. things that broke radio open to the public. One was religion, because the preachers got a hold of it and started preaching on the radio uh, back in the 1920s. And the second one was sports. Baseball in particular blew open radio to the point where Franklin Delano Roosevelt said, this is the best way for me to communicate is to use radio, hence the radio chats, which is very interesting because our last president, Donald Trump, used Twitter the same way that uh, FDR used radio. That's right. Every president, Ronald Reagan used television the way FDR used radio. Every president has to find that, that way. Every communicator finds that way. And it all comes out through these generational shiftings around these technologies. One last thing I will say to you on this as well, to understand my book, is that you have to understand the technology that's that's tipping. There's about every 10 years, there's a technology, new technologies that are tipping. And what I mean by that is a lot of technology never tips. You think about um, uh, video cassettes, you know, VHS. But at the same time, there was another type of, uh, of video tape called Betamax. Remember Betamax? Betamax, yeah. never, Betamax never tipped. It never tipped in the market. VHS became the predominant way to video record. Yeah. Same thing happened with Blu-ray. I know there are people out there that love Blu-ray discs, but I got to tell you, the DVD is what tipped. Blu-ray never tipped. It never had a cultural tipping point. But about every 10 years, you have these big tips. It might have, it was space. It was cable television. It was the internet. It was, uh, you know, the, the iPod, I call them the iTechnologies, the iPod, the iPad, the iPhone, you know, those technologies. But what's interesting is if your generation, as if you're coming of age and you think of coming of age between the ages of 10 and 25, the, the, the technology as you're coming of age. So I'm a, I'm 63. I was born in 1963. So the technologies that were coming of age during my coming of age years between 1973 and 1985 were uh, video gaming. There was video gaming and, and cable television. So I'm not Gen X, but if you look at the te technologies that really 
geared my life. I play life like a video game. You know, Gen X has been constantly playing life like a video game. We look at it like that. I mean, the Great Recession was just a great reset for us, a chance to get an extra life in this game that we're playing. Uh, and and we've always looked at our life as going, you know, kind of like the Challenger explosion, you know, in 1986. Yeah. You know, we're going up, going up, going up, and then all of a sudden something big's going to happen. We've always had that feeling in our generation that Gen X was going to have to take the brunt of something. And now we are. There has been no generation, no no American generation that's been hit harder uh, because, uh, you know, everybody talks about the boomers and the, the money that the boomers had and the money lost by the boomers. Yeah, okay. And, or millennials who have all this student debt. Yeah, I got it. But nobody's had more economic hardship starting in 1987. Remember that? 1987, there was a big stock market crash then, and it plummeted, and it really it would cost a lot of us our jobs back there. That was when we were just coming of age, getting into the job market. So all these things contribute, uh, the Great Recession, all these things contribute to who we are. So we're not Gen X so much. We're just, we're a cable television. You know, we, we like options. Uh, we like, we like uh, having opportunities and we like to, we're not in an institution. Institutions were ABC, NBC, CBS. We're ESPN, the Weather Channel. <laughs> we're, we're HBO, yeah. see? And when you look at it that yeah. way, you start to understand that uh, this stuff makes sense. Yeah, watching watching those shifts and those tips it's interesting I, I you know every time there is one of those cultural tips that you talked about there's always something that drives it and it's usually the market financial and the acceptance of the technology so what it's interesting what we're seeing right now rick with the the next coming of age with this internet generation i see it through elon musk and uh the donald trump and the what do you call him yay with uh purchasing all of these platforms right the this you can tell it's it's going to be one of those tipping points in our generational outcomes elon musk is stating right now that he is buying twitter because he wants to put this x uh app together which mm. is going to be the mega app of apps what do you think about this shift that we're witnessing right now because obviously it's one of those tipping points in technology yeah, and you're speaking to the social media platforms, which uh, they're, they're always going to be evolving. I mean, when you think about all the different platforms that have come and gone, um, I was trying to think of some of the early, early social media. I, I can't think of the one that was pre-Facebook. It's MySpace. MySpace. There uh, you go. I remember yeah, when MySpace. Yeah. Everybody, everybody's talking MySpace. And then Facebook came out. And I was one of the first people on Facebook because I was a college professor. Oh, wow. And call and you could not get on Facebook once they once they right. got it outside the local school where where uh, um, where he went to Zuckerberg went to and they just put it on college campuses. You had to be uh, in a college. You had to have a college ID or a college email address in order to get into Facebook. It was and that's when I was yeah. into. I, I think it was two thousand five, two thousand six 
was when I finally got into it because my students were there and I wanted to know more about my students. I wanted to communicate with my students and I thought it was an interesting social platform. But, you know, Facebook right now is on the verge of having some serious issues. It's primarily boomer driven. Uh, Boomer and X driven, the millennials have abandoned it like crazy. Gen Z just ignores it all together. So, you know, as a platform, there's a lot of concern that it'll even be here in 10 years. It'll, it's it very easily right. could be the MySpace. But uh, the, the kids these days are, are migrating, of course, to things like Snapchat, Snapchat and TikTok. You know, those are their yeah. places. Instagram has a little bit of a revival right now. Uh, it, it's kind of had some up and down moments, but it's, it's seeing some good. But here, those are social media is just one part. Those the generation born between 2000 and 2020, that 20 year period, I call the iTech generation. Uh, They're commonly called Gen Z, but Gen Z means nothing. Uh, In fact, if anything, it's it's one of the most lazy of laziest of all the the tags that we put on these generations is Gen Z. The iTech generation is is speaks to the fact that these kids born in the last between 2000 and 2020 grew up on the iTechnologies, you know, thinking of iPhone and iPad and iWatch and and iPod and, and iTunes, you know, the streaming technologies. And then you fold in that social media and you can see how they're a much different generation. They communicate completely different than those of us who, who were born, you know, in the 1960s and 70s and 80s, even 90s, they communicate differently. Um, but the, the, the thing is, what we're missing is there's a new generation that's being born since 2010. And the technology right now that's tipping, I call them hair technologies, not because I'm bald, but because it's an acronym <laughs> that helps me to remember uh, the, the three, the, these three technologies. And this is my, for you, for you and your listeners, this is that piece that we, I just want you to start looking for it because it is everywhere when you start looking for it. The hair technologies of the 2020s, and really by 2030, our world is going to be completely transformed again. You think we saw a lot of technological change in the last 120 years? Well, buckle up, buttercup, because it's coming in a big way uh, right now. <laughs> yeah. Here, here's the thing. H, H-A-I-R, just think hair, is an acronym for the three technologies. Holographic technology, AI, artificial intelligence, and then the R is robotics. And I talk about that in the last chapter of my book, because I take you all the way out to the year 2055, when that's the last coming of age years. You know, the coming of age years is between the ages of 10 and 25. So guess what's happening right now? That robo generation, as I called them, the robo generation born since 2010 are now coming of age. They're now children, 10-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old kids. But their their coming of age is going to come stretch out to 2055. And at that point, you know, it's these hair technologies. Can you imagine what the world's going to look like in a holographic, artificially intelligent, robotic world? Well, by 2030, we're going to get a good picture. By 2050, it's going to be so radically different. It'll, It'll be as different as you and I right now thinking about horse and buggy. It'll be as different as you and I thinking about using um, a telegraph in order to communicate. It's going to be that radical of a shift. We we can't imagine. When's the last time you ever used a telegraph to communicate a message? Yeah. We we never. We never had that in our frame. The kids today are growing up in such a fast digital cyber culture that it is it is changing them, and they're 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 just it's much more different for them. 
than for us. Yeah. You know, it's exciting and fearful all at the same time to watch the the advancement of new technologies and how you're a pastor. You know, I I understand that there's there's things in the book of Revelation that tells us to watch for some of this sort of stuff and it drives fear. But also there is that you know you talked about it look at like the uh inquisition spanish inquisition and the witch trials all of this is because of those things you talked about earlier because it was taboo it was something new novel to the whole system so it's really important to educate ourselves about the technologies that are immersing in our world and stay on top of them so we understand the bias nature of everything involved in that. So how do we understand our world better through the history and the generations that came before us? Well, first of all, I would say buy the book. Don't wait for the movie. Uh, yes, that's right. <laughs> the, book, the, the book. So a really, movie's coming. <laughs> that'd be nice. I actually think it'd make a great television show. You know, Gen Tech. I think it those, would. A reality yeah. show where I just bounced around and and told you stories about uh, the different technology and how it impacted different generations. Uh, I think it'd be a lot of interest in that. Yeah, kind of yeah. a reality a reality series. You know, uh, yeah. maybe along the lines of a of a pickers american pickers where you know you just see the technology but you know i to be honest if you're very if you're interested in this type of conversation my book is a, is a starting spot because i reframed the whole thing i the first three chapters were about blowing up the idea that you're a boomer or you're an xer or you're a millennial and i talk about where all those tags come from and why they're lousy as far as a name or a moniker and then i build the slow firm foundation that it is the technology that we experience between the ages of 10 and 25 that really frames our generational psyche. It tells us, it informs mm. us as far as who we are and how we mm -hmm. communicate. And that's then how we can better understand generations. We can better under, you know, communicate between generations is by understanding that. Um, with that said, though, uh, I think it's interesting that a lot of um, a lot of these conversations have this fear factor. You mentioned the, the book of Revelation. Right. And, you know, obviously, I'm not going to argue someone's interpretation of, of that particular book. But right. uh, I've never I don't see any technology in the book of Revelation. I'm sorry. I think it's more imagination about certain passages that suggest a technology. And you're welcome to do that. You know, anybody that says, well, what about this verse or that verse? I'm, hey, you're welcome to do it. Uh, I've been a student of book of Revelation for 40 years. And I can tell you that there are all sorts of ways to look at those those verses. But uh, for me personally, I've, I just don't see technology in that book. Uh, it's just not, it's not part of the story there of what's trying to be communicated. So, but the fear factor then becomes a major issue. It, it's interesting, you know, the, how I named the, the current generation. When I was writing the book, I had no name. I, you know, I was, I got up to the year 
you know, I knew 2000 to 2020, I had them named the iTechs for a long time and was calmly talking about the iTech generation. But then my theory, if it was holding true, and I was writing this in 2018, 2019, I, I thought if this, my theory's right, I've got to put a name on this new generation, this this generation being born since 2010. And I started thinking, oh my goodness, what what am I going to name it? And, you know, I knew robots were part of the picture. And I was doing some research on that one day. And I was on YouTube. I was on YouTube. And it was, um, they were showing commercials uh, of robot commercials. And one of the robot commercials, I can't remember the name of the, the company now, was um, some sort of finance company. It was during the Super Bowl of 2019. It was the number one commercial in the 2019 Super Bowl. And it was about a, a guy, that a man that's asleep, and this little robo-child, her name's robo-child, comes up and, wakey-wakey, Papa, wakey-wakey. And he rolls over and says, you know, oh, my goodness, what do you want? And she's, she says she wants something. And, and he says, the world's not ready for you, robo-child. And that's when it hit <laughs> me, robo-child. You know, uh. because as I started to look around, I was already seeing robots starting to bubble. Artificial intelligence starting to bubble. This is 2019. We're nine years into their generation. What's going to pop 10 years in is going to be technologies. And the three technologies that I was able to identify that were popping, holographic, artificial intelligence, and robotics. And every one of them, and why I tell that story is this, is because when they showed that commercial, and then the next day, you know, everybody talks about all the Super Bowl commercials. The number one commercial getting the most press, the most talked about was Robo Child. And it was mostly negative. It was a lot of it was negative uh, wow. because they saw it as creepy. It's creepy to have a robot child. It's that's that's weird. That's strange. That's odd. And I thought that's exactly the way every one of these technologies are. They make us feel. These technologies feel creepy. They feel strange. They feel different until we become acclimated to them, until we find their utilitarian use. They make yes. sense to us. They become a part That's of our right. life. We don't, I mean, is there anything more creepy than this? A smartphone? Oh, the yeah. Smartphone I, is, I remember. It's like, <laughs> this, is, yeah. this is really one of the more creepy types of technologies when you think about it, or, or smart speakers. I mean, this morning I was in my, my bathroom getting ready for work and and uh, my wife asked the speaker a question and i was going why do we do that i mean it just and it gave an answer it was like that's <laughs> crazy a little, yeah we live in that type of a world now where yeah. things start to become normalized and when they become normal those tipping points happen for us that's when we go ah oh, i'm getting it i'm getting it you know these these technologies frame who we are so the robot children yeah. the robo children will be defined by holograms and artificial intelligence and robotics. Yeah. So, you know, that, that I want to segue with that a little bit okay. on to what, what happens to our, I don't know what, what happens to our world? How do we, how do we transition with the technology is what I'm saying here, because right now, tangible jobs are really a must for our psyche and our understanding but yet with the advancement of this robo world and holographic technology all of these uh sensor technologies that mm -hmm. can sense things in a before i can even think about it 
how how is the transition going to occur from here on out into that world? It's an interesting thing because it's going to help us in so many ways. Mm -hmm. And if we can curb the fear factor that we've been talking about and allow these tech, because the marketplace always dictates if that technology goes forward or not. So that kind of curbs that fear factor that we all have in the early stages of these technologies. Unless, unless we get stuck. I mean, you think about, Think about technology. No culture has gotten more stuck with technology than the Amish. Think about the Amish here in mm. North America. I mean, they're stuck in a totally different world. No cars, no electricity. I mean, that that's a pre-19th or 20th century type of world they live in. And they survive. Yeah. I mean, you can do that. You can, you, can, you can survive that way if you want to do that. There are people right now that go off the grid to live. They literally have unplugged from the technology. They want to live off the grid. They want to live in a world without all the modern conveniences. You can do that if you want. So, you know, this idea of us moving forward, I think we have to, I always look at it from an ethical perspective, first of all. Uh, I got, I get a lot of my, um, a lot of my understandings from movies and you know uh, you think about Jurassic Park you know the idea of cloning a dinosaur and mm -hmm. one of the lines in there uh, that was was given was just because we can clone a dinosaur doesn't mean that we should you know and right. that was a I, I think that's a great line because when you think about robots I mean th there are people that the pornography industry has found robots to be a very fascinating way to create new new um relationships if you will there are there are um it is um there are people that are actually there right now i'm telling you this is this is not this sounds creepy it sounds strange it sounds weird but it's the it's the truth in i think it's in japan in fact i'm almost 100 yes. sure it's in japan there is a man who is presently divorcing his robot that's because he married his robot and now him and his robot aren't getting along and he's divorcing his robot these are the ethical concerns that most of us go, it goes over our heads. And we kind of go, what in the world? But our kids are going to have to grapple with this. Our robots, yes. robots will no doubt be the fighting forces of the future. You think our wars will be fought with human people, with human, human beings in the future? No, no, they're going to be fought by robots. They're going to be fought by drones. They're going to be fought by, by artificially intelligent uh, pieces of metal uh, that will, um, that right. will, will decide the, the outcome of a war or it will be done through cyber, you know, types of yeah. uh, attacks. Those will decide the wars of the future. But at the same time, robots, I think, can serve our communities too. Think about the workplace right now. A lot of the, a lot of the businesses can't afford uh, to hardly stay open because they don't have the staff. You know, the staff is not there. Well, what's going on? You know, well, I got to tell you, in 10 years, that will not even be a question. All those places that have problems right now, finding individuals, people to work, that's all going to be robots. Who's going to cook yeah. your meal in the future? It's going to be a robot. There's already a pizzeria called Zoom Pizzerias. They are yeah. primarily robotic pizza. It's put together so by in a way, in a way, we're forcing this shift ourselves. I think COVID, I think COVID, yeah. 
COVID was not yes. an interruption. COVID, a, a lot of people, I, I, and I, I think it's because we pray that it is. You know, I remember doing these type of conversations two years ago in the middle of COVID and, and mm -hmm. talking about this and saying, I think most of us hope this is just an interruption. But I was telling people back then, this is not an interruption. This is a disruption. And the better you learn that it's a disruption to who we are and how we're going to operate, because when we come out of COVID, it's going to be like a whole new world. We're going to look at things a lot differently. We're going to respond to things differently and, and radically different. And when you think about even right now, I mean, I didn't do Zoom interviews or podcasts before COVID. You know, I, I, right. I my That's speaking right. career was in a much different venue. Uh, I didn't do training by Zoom. I didn't hold my life group by Zoom. I have a life group that meets every Thursday night in someone's home here in, in Idaho, uh, Boise. And, and, you know, I didn't do that. Um, I didn't do Zoom. But during COVID, we had a Zoom group that met as well. I, you know, it changed how we operate. It changed how we communicate. It changed how we work. More people are working from home now than ever before. That trend is not going away. And businesses are learning. Yeah. Many of them have learned, hey, we, we can actually operate leaner and more efficiently by having our workforce work from home. And, you know, my stepson, wonderful kid, he works out of his house. He doesn't have to leave his house. He literally gets up in his pajamas and and works at the computer <laughs> all day long. Yeah. And, and you know this That's... idea that Gen Z is lazy and that Gen Z is um is is the, pro the 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 problem why we have all these these job openings. Well, Gen Z knows where the money's at. The money's not in a $15 job working at at McDonald's, you know, flipping a burger. The money now is $20 and $25 jobs working online in your pajamas, you know, working, working. And who yes. wouldn't take that? I mean, who wouldn't do that? And, right. and Gen Z has been wired naturally to do cyber communication. They've been doing cyber communication from the day they were born. They were given iPads yeah. for Pete's sakes while they were in kindergarten. So these kids know this type of stuff already. And why are we surprised? Yes. Yeah, it's it's odd we've augmented our world significantly with technologies such as zoom and uh nobody picks up a phone anymore and makes phone call hardly ever you know <laughs> it's rare you're texting emailing or zooming yeah. uh, it's odd how the world has shifted i'll give, no, you, I I'll remember give you a story a, oh go ahead Please go sure. ahead no, I said, let me finish. let me give you a let me give you a story. I I work as a, a Lewis and Clark historian for American Cruise Lines, mm -hmm. so uh, I'm on the I'm on a ship, literally porting at docks uh, all summer long, and we work the Columbia River from uh, Portland, Oregon, Astoria, Oregon, all the way up to Clarkston, Washington. Eight day trips we yeah. take on the river with with guests. And I was raised in Clarkston. Well, there you go. Okay, so you know the place. Yeah. Well, yeah. what's interesting was um, this last summer uh, we'd often come in to port, and we'd have to, you know, swap up. We take all the passengers would get off, and then a new group would get on, and it was what we call turnover day. And on turnover day, these kids, and these are these are Gen Z kids. These are the young ones that were were our deck hands. They were the ones turning the beds and changing the beds and doing all that stuff. And when they would get all their work done, and we and our job now was to get all the new passengers on, these kids then would get on their phones and start 
working their phones like crazy. And within 30 minutes, 40 minutes, food started arriving to the ship. And even though the ship gave them food, we, we fed them food. They were, they were getting food from Taco Bell and from Pizza Hut and <laughs> from Five Guys, whatever they could find. They were, they were ordering it up through um through uh dash dash yeah dash was was big yeah. for them and uber eats was another one uh, uber you know, eats yes yeah you think about how think about uh, there's another one uber think about how uber's changed yeah. transportation you know it's it's totally flattened where anybody can drive anybody can be you don't have to, you're not a taxi you don't have to have a special thing on your hood you're not part of a company you yourself are your own company and you can make a living at it. I know people who do nothing but Uber. My Uber drivers, I ask them, how are you making a living? They said, I could make a, I live very good at this work. You know, I just thought, wow, world's different. The world's different. It's, yeah. it's odd. And, and, you know, another trend sneaking up there is with, with all of that that we just talked about, You've got the autonomous vehicles coming into it, and and these these kids they they don't care about driving. You know, you you ride a Harley. You you like the transportation that we have now, but this electric vehicle and all of that coming in, where it's going to drive and you sit in the back seat and play your video game, do your business, or eat your meal. I'm I'm watching this and it's kind of transpiring right in front of us where it's kind of getting normal for these people to think about that, do things like that, where I'm thinking, wait a minute, do I want to get in that car that's being driven by a robot, artificial <laughs> intelligence, and allow it to drive me from A to Z? See, so there, there is that transfer going on right now. And I see them like, what's wrong with it? And I'm like, well, there's a lot. I'm, I'm an ex-mechanic, you know, I, I understand <laughs> mechanical. <laughs> so, yeah, it's interesting to watch this and exciting hey, at the same time. Think about airplanes, you know, airplanes, for a long time, that's right. When, when airplanes move and, you know, I, when I was researching the airplanes out, I thought, you know, uh, this was, you know, as far as making mass transportation like it is today, you know, where you, you catch a flight. We don't think anything about catching a flight. When's the last time you heard of a domestic flight going down and crashing? You know, I, I can't even think of the last time I heard of a domestic flight. You have some domestic flights that have problems out there and they land or mm -hmm. they got to deal with or something like that. But I was talking about one crashing where dozens, hundreds of people are killed. I mean, I remember that being fairly common in the 1970s, even in the 1980s, 70s, yeah. 70s and 80s, 80s. There were still those 80s. stories. Yeah. But that's because in 1969, that's when mass transportation by airplane became for the common man. They, they deregulated the airplane industry, allowed basically all these airlines to, to emerge, and there was just so much volume out there. And because it was deregulated, they, they were kind of flying by the seat of their pants, if you pardon the pun, on this whole thing. But before that, before 1969, it, the airplane industry was really only for the rich. You know, it would yeah. cost you $50,000 to fly from 
from America over to Asia. I mean, because you flew from island to island to island in order to get more, more gas. I mean, it was it was really kind of strange when you look yeah. at some of those old, especially 1930s, 1940s, 1950s routes that they had. It wasn't until the 1970s that it became a common man experience, right? Well, hey, there you go. I mean, here you're looking at these autonomy cars, these autonomous cars, uh, and essentially they're nothing more than what you just said, a robot an artificially intelligent robot. But here's the blessing. Here's the blessing. Artificial intelligence is a learning machine. These robot cars, yes, there's been some crashes with them. Yes, there's been some concerns with them. It's early in the technology, but as they learn, and I guarantee you they will learn, as they learn these roads and they improve their their, their, uh, performance, what's gonna go down are crashes. And it's going to come to the point where yeah. it's going to be 99 to 100% safe to jump into a car. Probably even 99.9% safe. They'll give a little room for air. But here's, here's what's going to be interesting. Once we get to that point, you won't need to have automobile insurance anymore. You won't need to have uh, insurance on yourself as far as death insurance in a car. You know, the the whole idea of auto insurance will totally go away because there won't be any crashes. Think of all the lives. What is it? 50,000 people die or or 60,000 people die every year just from automobile accidents. Think about those 50,000 people not dying anymore. What's that going to do to change populations? You know, there's going to be people that are. That's a good point. It's it's just going to, everything's going to shift these ways. So these, these technologies have a way of improving us, but they also create new problems. And, you know, that's the cultural historian in me likes to look back and say, well, how do we handle old problems? You know, the industrial revolution was full of was full of problems. When we moved to the idea of a mechanized machine that put together a car or put together refrigerators or anything else that you're wanting to put together, we had the industrial revolution and the the whole idea of a a belt moving things along like Ford uh, developed and and to a a T. To a T, literally, he created the Model T on yeah. that thing. Uh, on right. the, uh, yeah. So, I mean, the Industrial Revolution was full of questions, but what did it? What did it bring? It brought a middle class. Before, before the Industrial Revolution, Revolution, there was no middle class. It, re, it yeah. literally brought up people up into a new economic status that was stable. You were either poor or you were rich before the Industrial Revolution. Not anymore. You know, we do have a middle yeah. class. Yeah. The the world's exciting. It always has been. It always will be. And it's always growing through our technology. That's for sure. Yeah. Rick, could you uh, tell people how to get a hold of your book? And do you have a call to action for people? Well, first of all, I'll do I'll do you all a favor, uh, Ed. If you want to put this on your website, I'll be more than happy to send you a link that you're your audience can download my book for free, a digital copy for free. How's that sound? Awesome. Yeah. That's yeah. So you can download it. You go to Ed's website there uh, where this uh, is being recorded and you'll see a link there. I'll send it to him and, and you can download your own copy. I would encourage you to do two things for me though. If you love the book, do two things, maybe buy a print copy as a, as a personal uh, copy or as a gift for somebody. Uh, and secondly, uh, just um, give us some love out there on Amazon or, or Barnes and Noble, some of these book places that sell. We've got to get this book out. It's it's kind of had a, it was born in the COVID moment. So it's kind of gotten lost. 
and I am trying to revive it a bit. I think it's probably my best book, uh, although I'm right now working on another book uh, that I hope will be my, I always think my next book is always my best book, but this, it is. Is, a really, this is a really good book <laughs> and I'd love to get it into your hands and I'll do it. I'll do this for you and and make it work for you. But if you, if you buy it and uh, promote it, that's even better for me. And I appreciate that. And you can, well, I, you can, I sure will. You can learn more about me, by the way, at rickchromie.com. Uh, that's the place you'll All find right. me. Rick, it's it's exciting. You know, you're you're fascinating. You're doing good things. And I'm I'm gonna reach out and have you back on the podcast, yeah. I hope. You know, it, it's I've got some other things I want to speak and discuss with you, but I'm definitely gonna get this book because it's it's explained so much to me already that i've wondered about so long yeah i love what you're doing rick keep doing it thank you for Thanks. being part of our show today dead america podcast thank you ed thank you and by the way for those who are interested in an autographed copy if you go to rickchromie.com and order directly through me and this is only for uh, u.s audiences only i i can't i can't mail them internationally so keep that in mind if you're international sorry you'll get the free digital but if you want an autographed copy great christmas gift by the way um just go to rickchromie.com and i will autograph that copy and get it in the mail to you this week so it's it's there for you all right rick you you enjoy your afternoon sir thank you ed it's been a pleasure Thank you for joining us today. If you found this podcast enlightening, entertaining, educational in any way, please share, like, subscribe, and join us right back here next week for another great episode of Dead America Podcast. I'm Ed Waters, your host. Enjoy your afternoon, wherever you may be.